Welcome to tonight's Facebook Live event. Uh, I'm happy to be here. My name is Steve Briner. I'm going to be talking about the doctrine of Christ in the story of Abraham. And uh, to preface, there needs to be some, some preface here about what exactly um, the book of Abraham what exactly the book of Abraham is um, and how we find the doctrine of Christ in the story of Abraham. And, and let me first talk about um, where the language comes from in, in the book of Abraham. And we, over and over and over again, we see in the book of Mormon, even Nephi in, in his introduction to his account, he talks about language. And first, let's go to First Nephi, verse one, or ch chapter one, verse two. It reads, First Nephi one two. Yea, I make a record in the language of my father, which consists of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. And you may be asking, what does this have to do with the book of Abraham? Well. Abraham wrote his account. We need to read the book of Abraham as though it is Abraham's journal, as though Abraham is giving his account of, of his life, how he awakened. It's, it's Abraham's story. That's what we're reading in the book of Abraham. And he wrote it in Egyptian characters. And Let's talk a little bit about Egyptian characters, just so we un we have some context, so we can understand the Book of Abraham a little bit better and how to find the doctrine of Christ in that. So, and and I'll use an example, and the example that I'll use is the sign of pi, and we all recognize that as a little squiggly line with two legs coming coming down off of it, and just what is contained in that one symbol that we all understand as pi is a number of infinite length and also a description as to what that number is. So within this little sign of pi, we have, we have an infinite number again. And, and the meaning of that sign is, is if you've, if you've ever taken, if you've studied mathematics, it means the ratio of the circumference of a circle to the diameter of that circle. So if you have a circle, the diameter of the circle is the length all the way across, the longest length across of a circle. And, and that, that ratio, that diameter is always going to be 3.14 times the diameter and you'll get the whole circumference of the circle. That's what all of that that I just said is what we understand, um, that little symbol pi to be. And so the book of Abraham, when Abraham wrote down what he wrote down in, in Egyptian hieroglyphics, one single symbol can, is not just an object or, or a name. It, one single symbol can encompass an entire idea. And so when Nephi says, again, in first Nephi, Chapter one, verse two, when he says, yeah, I make a record in the language of my father. Well, this language is, is characters, but it's the explanation that these characters represent an entire idea, just like the character of pi represents an enormously long number 
and it represents the the ratio of a circumference of, of the circumference of a circle to the diameter of that circle. So um, Nephi was not only taught in how to read and write, but he was taught in what these characters represent, what the these these Egyptian hieroglyphics, if you put down one character, what what does that one character mean? What what is the idea behind that one character? Um, so let's let's read one more. Let's read one more verse in First Nephi, chapter three, verse nineteen, and it has again to do with language. He, and it says, "And behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records, that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers." Okay, so again, it's not just about reading and writing; it is about the idea of preserving everything that was being taught regarding these these characters and the ideas that these characters represented. Um, and and to give another example, we when we get in these groups like this, when when we talk about the doctrine of Christ, when we talk about the new and everlasting covenant, we have a different language that we use in this setting as opposed to the language that would commonly be used, for example, in in a modern day LDS Sunday school class. Um, the languages that we use in here discussing the doctrine of Christ, the new everlasting covenant, is kind of an esoteric type of speech, um, meaning that it is the, the kind of language we use in here is colloquial, colloquial to individuals who are seeking to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. We understand the kind of language we use, whereas others from the outside may not understand it. Um, let's look at one more example regarding language, and then we'll move on to Abraham and the doctrine of Christ. So in Jacob chapter 7, verse 4, this is Sherem, and Sherem is kind of an infiltrator. Sherem has infiltrated Jacob's people. And he's going around teaching that Christ is not going to come and that they are saved by the law of Moses. And this this should sound familiar to you today. Um, in, in Jacob chapter 7, verse 4, we get Sherem, who has infiltrated, who has infiltrated the people of Nephi. And it says about Sherem in, in verse 4, and he was learned, that he had a perfect knowledge of the language of the people. So Sherem understood the doctrine of Christ. He understood the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. He understood the second comforter. He understood the new and everlasting covenant. These are all things that he had an understanding of, that he had studied. And he used that to persuade the people to leave the true doctrine of Christ. Again, in verse four, and he was learned and he had a perfect knowledge of the language of the people. He could, he could use much flattery and much power of speech according to the power of the devil. So, again, the ideas presented in Abraham, when we have a character, that character represents an entire idea, not just what the word means, but a whole, a whole idea representing usually the doctrine of Christ or, or, or also ascension, we'll see, in the book of Abraham. So, Let's read Abraham as though it is his journal. It's Abraham's awakening experience. So let's go to Abraham verse 1, or Abraham chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw it was needful 
for me to obtain another place of residence. So first of all, let's define the Chaldeans. Let's break that verse apart and let's define who the Chaldeans are. And the Chaldeans, if you look at a map in, in, over in the Middle East, the, I guess we could say Babylon was a city and Ur were city, was a city inside the region of Chaldea. So, um, I guess you could say that Chaldea was the state and Babylon was a city inside of that state. Um, and I, s- similar to how maybe, maybe what, what Los Angeles would be to California. Los Angeles would be the city, California. Los Angeles would be compared to Babylon and California would be compared to Chaldea. So it's, it's a city. Babylon is a city inside of Chaldea. And so let's find out what was going on in Chaldea at the time of Abraham. Let's look at Jeremiah 51, 24. And Jeremiah says, and I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea, all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. So Chaldea and Babylon, all of Chaldea, this was not a good place. This was a place of idol worship. It was a place of sacrifice. Um, it was a place where the true doctrine of, of Christ could not be spread. It was a place where the new and everlasting covenant was not being practiced. And to further explore what was going on in Chaldea and what was going on in Abraham's life, Abraham says, he says, in the land of the Chaldeans at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. So why? What was there's more to the story there that we're not getting. What was going on? We know that, again, Chaldea was wicked, but why was Abraham, why was it important? Why does he include that? Why was it so important that Abraham obtain another place of residence? Um, and to try and flush this out, to try and, to try and understand what's really going on here, let's do some cross-referencing. Um, both Lehi and Abraham are in a similar situation. They both live in a wicked society, and both in verse 2 of Abraham, Abraham arrives at a knowledge. In other words, Lehi and Abraham awaken. Both of them awaken to a similar situation. Both are living in wicked societies, and Abraham and Lehi see that they're in this wicked society and that they need to leave. So instead of me telling you about it, let's go to 1 Nephi chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. This is Nephi, or, or Lehi, excuse me, say, talking about his awakening experience. What happened to Lehi that he all of a sudden saw that he was living in a wicked society? 1 Nephi chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And being thus overcome with the Spirit, he, again, this is Lehi, was carried away in a vision, even that he saw the heavens open, and he thought he saw God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God. And it came to pass that he saw one, this is Jesus Christ, descending out of, out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. And he also saw 12 others following him, and their brightness did exceed that of the stars in the firmament. And if I could, I'm going to take take a small liberty and diverge from Abraham for just a few minutes and talk about 
these 12 apostles whose brightness did exceed the stars of the firmament. Um, I want to just talk about them as far as their apostleship and what they went through and, and how they felt about the Lord and how we know what they felt about the Lord. Um, look at, let's look at the way they died. Peter, and, and a lot of this, a lot of how these apostles died um, and what they went through for Jesus Christ and for his name, some of it is not known. Um, there's a lot of speculation, and, and you can read different ways about how they died. I tried to take the most common assumption, or, uh, I guess the most common knowledge about how they died. Peter, Peter, we all know how he died. He was crucified upside down at his request. He didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same way as his Lord. Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was killed by guards, four guards, they think, with spears. Philip was crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Bartholomew was skinned alive, then beheaded. James was stoned to death. Simon was sawed in half and possibly crucified. Matthias, Matthias, he was the one that replaced um, Judas. He was stoned to death and then he was stoned and then beheaded. John, the beloved, um, there's accounts of him being tortured and accounts of him being immersed in boiling oil and escaping unscathed. We know that he was translated up. But the point is what, what Lehi was seeing in vision, these 12 men that came down with Christ, you don't ask to be crucified upside down if you do not believe what you if you do not believe what you are teaching. These twelve men understood the power of Jesus Christ, and they understood what He did for them. And these these twelve men were were convicted men. And that, as I was reading this, as I was preparing for that. Um, that verse stuck out to me, verse 10, and he saw 12 others following him and their brightness did exceed that of the stars of the firmament. Um, are we willing to do what those men did? Are we willing to die and suffer as those men did for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Um, okay, onward onward with Lehi. First Nephi chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. This is the destruction of Jerusalem. And they came down, these are the 12 apostles, and they came down and went forth upon the face of the earth. And the first came and stood before my father and gave unto him a book and bade him that he should read. And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the spirit of the Lord. And he read saying, woe, woe unto Jerusalem or cursed, cursed is Jerusalem. For I have seen thine abominations. Yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem that it should be destroyed and the inhabitants thereof. Many should perish by the sword and many should be taken away captive into Babylon. So the Lord is telling me or Lehi, this is what's going to happen to your city. And let's go to first Nephi chapter two, verses one through three to find out how Lehi responded to the prophesied destruction of Jerusalem and what this has to do with Abraham. First Nephi chapter two, verses one through three, for behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, yea, even in a dream. And he said unto him, blessed art thou Lehi because of the things which thou hast done and blessed. And, and because thou hast been faithful and declared unto this people, the things which I commanded thee, behold, 
They seek to take away thy life. So Lehi entered into the new and everlasting covenant. The Lord told him to go and teach the people that they tell the people that they were going to be destroyed unless they repent. And as a result of this, the people of Jerusalem seek to take away Lehi's life. Okay, that's important. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. Now, this should be feeling familiar to Abraham chapter 1, verse 1. It came to, again, verse 2, and it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he, Lehi, was obedient under the word of the Lord. Therefore, he did as the Lord commanded him. Now, let's go back to Abraham 1.1. In the land of the Chaldeans, a wicked place, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. Now, let's replace the word Chaldea with Jerusalem and the word Abraham with Lehi. Abraham 1.1. In the land of Jerusalem, at the residence of my fathers, where Lehi lived all his days, he tells us, I, Lehi, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. Well, why was it needful for Lehi to obtain a place of another place of residence? Well, for the same reason of Abraham. We just read it because they were seeking to take away Lehi's life. Okay, so to, to cross-reference Lehi with Abraham, once again, let's go to Abraham chapter 1, verse 7. Therefore, they turned their hearts to the sacrifice of the heathen, or who they thought were heathen. This is Abraham. They turned their hearts to the sacrifice of the heathen in offering up their children unto these dumb idols, and hearken not unto my voice, but endeavored to take my life away by the hand of the priest of Elkanah, the priest of Elkanah, who is, the, who is also the priest of Pharaoh. So do you see what's going on? They are just so parallel with each other. Lehi and Abraham are lockstep. They awaken, they both realize that they're living in a state of wickedness and that they need to get out because people are seeking to kill them. Okay, um, so let's go, let's see what happens to Abraham. Abraham chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is when, right when, now this, Lehi doesn't get this far, he gets out. But Abraham, they take Abraham and offer him up as a sacrifice. And as they stood, and as they lifted their hands upon me, that they may offer me up and take away my life, behold, I lifted up my voice unto the Lord my God. And the Lord hearkened and heard, and he filled me with the vision of the Almighty, and the angel of his presence stood before me, and immediately unloosed my bands. And his voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah, and I have heard thee. And have come down to deliver thee and to take thee away from thy father's house and from all thy kinsfolk into a strange land, which thou knowest not of Lehi and Abraham are lockstep. They are just running parallel with their experiences. Um, same exact situation, Lehi and Abraham. And we looked, we looked at the command that, that the Lord gave to Lehi to get up and leave. Let's look at the command that the Lord gave to Abraham to leave. And again, this is all new and everlasting covenant. These are all commandments specific to Lehi and specific to Abraham. Abraham chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now the Lord had said unto me, Abraham, get thee out of thy country. Let's replace Lehi's name there. Lehi, get thee out of thy country 
The Lord said unto me, Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Therefore, I left the land of Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And I took Lot, my brother's son and his wife and Sarai, my wife. And also my father followed after me unto the land which we dominated Haran. Um, so you can see, obviously, how parallel, again, Abraham and Lehi's experiences are. I want to look at one more person's experience, and that is Alma, Alma the Elder. And this, this same thing happens over and over and over, over again in the Book of Mormon and all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and, and in the Book of Abraham everywhere. It just keeps happening over and over again where there's a group of people and they're wicked and a remnant is, is taken out of that wicked people and they're taken to a new land. Um, same thing happened with Alma. Let's look at Mosiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Um, again, this is Alma the elder, and this is Abinadi, okay? This is when they, when they slay Abinadi and they cast Alma out. Let's read. And now it came to pass that when Abinadi had finished these sayings, that the king commanded that the priest should take him and cause that he should be put to death. And there was one among them whose name was Alma. He also being a descendant of Nephi, he was a young man, and he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken. So he probably had not been corrupted excessively by the system yet. He was still aware. He was still thinking and using his mind because he was young. He was a young man, and he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken. For he knew concerning the, the iniquity which Abinadi had testified against them. Therefore, he began to plead with the king, that's King Noah, that he would not be angry with Abinadi, but suffer that he might depart in peace. That did not go over well with King Noah. But the king was more wroth and caused that Alma should be cast out from among them and sent his servants after him that they might slay them. Again, do you see another parallel with, with Lehi and with Abraham? Um, Alma living in a wicked society, not necessarily understanding that he was living in a wicked society until a prophet came and testified to Alma that he was living in a wicked society and that he, Alma, was participating in the wickedness. He didn't see it. He did not see it. Finally, he awakened. Same thing happened to Lehi. Same thing happened to Abraham. Same thing happened to Alma. So let's continue Alma's story. What happens to Alma after he awakens? Well, he goes back. Let's look at Mosiah chapter 18, verse 3. We read, and as many as would hear his word, he did teach. This is Alma. And he taught them privately that it might not come to the knowledge of the king. And many did believe his words. Okay, so Alma goes back to, to teach the doctrine of Christ and to try and convince people to enter into the new and everlasting covenant so that they can get out of the city of King Noah before it's destroyed. And to conclude, Alma, let's go to Mosiah chapter 18, verses 33 through 35, beginning in verse 33. And now the king said that Alma was stirring up the people to rebellion against him. Therefore, he sent his army to destroy them. And it, came, and it came to pass that Alma and the people of the Lord were apprised of the coming of the king's army. Therefore, they took their tents and their families 
and departed into the wilderness. And they were in number about 450 souls. Same thing, same exact thing happened to Alma as happened to Lehi, as happened to Abraham. Let's read verse one again, one more time in Abraham. So we, we give a clear context of what exactly happened. In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, same thing that happened to Alma, same thing that happened to Lehi. I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. And again, it's just, it's so clear once you understand, once you see the patterns in scripture, you can see what's going on, what kind of situation Abraham is in. Same situation as so many other people and, and probably us before too long. Um, verse two, Abraham chapter one, verse two, um, I'm going to read the whole verse. There's so much here, and then we'll begin to unpack it word by word. Because remember, as we're reading, as we're reading the book of Abraham, a single word in, in an Egyptian hieroglyph can contain an entire idea. And that was the language that, that Nephi and, and so many others in the Book of Mormon were taught in. It was this understanding these ideas. Um, so verse two and finding, let me stop there actually finding. So Abraham was not aware just as Lehi was not aware. And just as Alma was not aware, Abraham had, Abraham had to find out for himself. He had to awaken and finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me. And those three words we can break down. Those three words are huge, happiness, peace, and rest. Words, those words mean something. Abraham didn't just choose them randomly. Uh, there are entire ideas around those words. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge and to be a greater follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace, desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest, holding the right belonging to the fathers. Now, you could just read that and gloss over all of that. We're going to unpack it, and we're going to find out exactly what is going on with Abraham, starting again with the word finding. Abraham had to discover. He had to awaken. Um, that's what that word finding means. And what did he find? He found happiness, peace, and rest. In other words, in those three words that Abraham uses, Abraham discovered the doctrine of Christ. He discovered the doctrine of ascension. He discovered the new and everlasting covenant. The Lord made him aware of those things. and. That's what he's telling us. Let's define first the word happiness um, as Abraham describes it. He found he, he was made aware that there was greater, greater happiness to be had. Uh, Mosiah chapter 2, verse 41, King Benjamin does a great job of defining what the Lord means by the word happy and happiness. Now, man in, in the telestial world has their own definition of happiness, but that is not the definition of happiness that the Lord would have us understand. Okay. Mosiah chapter two, verse 41, happiness is defined by the Lord. And moreover, 
I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. Okay? Those that keep the commandments of God, that is new covenant language. That is new and everlasting covenant language. If we enter into the new covenant, if we seek for and receive and act on revelation, we have entered into the new and everlasting covenant. That is the the doctrine of ascension, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of first having faith and then repenting and then receiving a baptism of water and finally receiving a baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost, second comforter, and the ascension never, never ends. Again, verse 41, Mosiah chapter 2. And moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God, of those that enter into the new and everlasting covenant. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a never-ending state, in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. So when Abraham says that he discovered that there that he found that there was greater happiness to be had, he's saying that his happiness derived from entering into the new and everlasting covenant, just as just as King Benjamin said, the happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. Abraham found that out. The Lord revealed that to Abraham, and that's what gave Abraham happiness. Um, Okay, so let's look at the word peace. Abraham says, finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me. Let's define the word peace. Now, the world would have us think that peace is just a state of tranquility. Just a state of calmness. That's, that, that's all it is. A state of peace is, is just that. I'm just calm. I'm relaxed. Well, again, in the Egyptian language, these hieroglyphs represent an entire idea um, that, that that's why Abraham wrote it down like that. They represent a whole idea, and we have to understand the language of the Egyptians, just as Nephi said, in order to understand what this word peace means. What is this idea of peace? What is it? Well, let's go back to Mosiah. Mosiah chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. These are the priests of King Noah, and they are trying to trip Abinadi up. They're trying to catch catch Abinadi in his words. Mosiah 12, verses 20 and 21. And it came to pass that one of them, these are the priests, that one of the priests said unto him, Abinadi, what meaneth the words which are written and which have have been written and which have been taught by our fathers, saying, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Now, these are the priests. These are the wicked priests of King Noah, and what they're trying to say here is, Abinadi, you're coming in here causing all of this havoc. You're wreaking havoc on us and on our society. You are teaching us and telling us that we're wicked men. When we know we're not wicked men, we publish peace. We tell everybody, we, they're the soothsayers. They are telling, they're, they're in their society telling everybody that all is well, that, that, 
that there's no problems and and that that they are following the law of God and they don't need to do any more. That's what the soothsayers say, and that's what the priests of King Noah are are teaching their people. And so they want to know why Abinadi is coming in here, teaching that they are all in apostasy and need to repent. And so, okay, let's look now at Abinadi's response to to what they say. And this is three chapters ahead. Abinadi's response to in in Mosiah fifteen eleven through eighteen. What what Abinadi tells the priests of King Noah that peace he he lets them have it. He explains what peace really is because they think it's them, and he's like, "No, you guys are wicked. It's not you. You are not what peace is." Starting in verse eleven, Mosiah fifteen. Behold, I Abinadi say unto you that whosoever has the words of the prophets, yea, all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I say unto you, now these are true prophets, I say unto you that all those who have hearkened unto their words and believe that the Lord would redeem and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I say unto you that these are his seed, or they are the heirs of the kingdom of God. So, people who enter into the new and everlasting covenant, who believe the words of a man who truly speaks by the power and authority of the Lord, who speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, if you believe on their words, then you become an heir of the kingdom of God. You become the seed of Christ and an heir to the kingdom of God. Verse 12, for these are they, this is the seed of God or Christ, for these are they whose sins he has borne, these are they for whom he has died to redeem them from their transgressions. And now, are they not his seed? Yea, and are not the prophets, everyone that has opened his mouth to prophesy that has not fallen into transgression? I mean, all the holy prophets ever since the world began, I say unto you that they are his seed. Now, verse 14 is where it gets real. And these are they who have published peace. So becoming the seed of Christ, now that is receiving the baptism of fire, that's receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, that is receiving the remission of your sins and receiving salvation in the kingdom of God. Verse 14, these are they who have published peace. Now, if I publish something, I release it out to the entire world for the world to consume. What these prophets are publishing And what we are publishing and what Christ is publishing is an invitation to the world to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. We invite all to ascend and receive the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. We invite all to teach the doctrine of Christ and to partake of the salvation that Christ has to offer. That is what publishing peace is. Publishing peace, Christ is the prince of peace. Publishing peace is to publish Christ. Not say to yourself, not lift yourself up in the pride of your heart saying, we are publishing peace. We're doing a great job. No, Christ publishes peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Verse 14 again. And these are they who have published peace, who have brought good tidings of good, who have published salvation and said unto Zion, thy God reigneth. And how beautiful upon the mountains were their feet. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that are still publishing peace, 
still talking about Christ, still teaching to enter into the new and everlasting covenant. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who shall hereafter publish peace. Yea, from this time henceforth and forever, forever. And behold, I say unto you, this is not all. For oh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that is the founder of peace. Yea, even the Lord who has redeemed his people. Yea, him who has granted salvation unto his people. So this gives us a really good description and idea of what peace really is. So when Abraham says that he found greater happiness, which is dwelling with God, and peace, that's being saved in in the kingdom of God by becoming his seed, that's what Abraham is talking about. Those are the ideas that Abraham is trying to convey with very limited hieroglyphs. Um, Finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me. Let's look at the word rest. Um, Alma, Alma chapter 13, verse 16, verse six, excuse me, defining the word rest. What does Abraham mean by rest? Well, Alma gives us a good idea and many others. And thus being called Alma 13, six, and thus being called by his holy calling and ordained under the high priesthood. Remember, this is exactly what Abraham went through at the end of verse two. He received the calling to the high priesthood. A right as a rightful heir to the high priesthood, and thus being called by this holy calling and ordained under the high priesthood of the holy order of God to teach his commandments unto the children of men that they might also enter into his rest. So Alma's job is to try and help people enter into the new and everlasting covenant, to teach the Lord's commandments to the children of men with the end that all of these people, me and you and everyone else might enter into the rest of the Lord. Okay, so let's look at what rest actually means. Alma and Abraham had the same exact calling. Jacob chapter one, verse seven, talking about what the word rest means. What does Abraham mean by that? Wherefore, we labor diligently among our people, Jacob speaking to us, that we might persuade them to come unto Christ, that's enter into the new and everlasting covenant, and partake of the goodness of God, that they might enter into his rest. This is literally entering into the presence of Christ and God the Father. And partake of the goodness of God, that they might enter into his rest, lest by any means he should swear in his wrath that they should not enter in, as in the provocation in the days of temptation while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. So what is Jacob talking about here with the Israelites? Okay. Remember, if you remember, the Israelites did the same thing as the early saints. They were given a higher gospel, they rejected it, and then they were given a preparatory gospel. They didn't have a desire to enter into the rest of the Lord. The NC 84.24 gives us us better context about what Jacob is talking about at the end of verse 7. The NC 84.24, but they, this is speaking of the Israelites, hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore. The Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness. What is his rest? Which rest is the fullness of his glory. Okay, this is in the wilderness. This is in the flesh. We're not talking about some far off distant time and place. We're talking about right here, right now. 
This is what Abraham is talking about, entering into the rest of the Lord. Okay. One more time, Abraham chapter one, verse two. Let's just go through it again, word by word. Remember, all these words are separate ideas. And finding there was greater happiness, we define that, and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers. Okay, let's, let's unpack that. Let's unpack that phrase. Abraham has a desire. Okay, he wants the blessings of the fathers. Now, what are the blessings of the fathers? Let's define it. Let's figure it out. Alma chapter 10, verse 7. And I was journeying to see a very near kindred. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto me and said, excuse me, I should tell you the context of this. This is, yeah, you probably already know it. Amulek, Amulek, um, Alma has gone into the city uh, and been rejected and told to go in a back way. And so he does. And Amulek is visited by an angel. And as I was journeying to see a very near kindred, Amulek, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto me, Amulek, and said, Amulek, return to thine own house, for thou shalt feed a prophet of the Lord, yea, a holy man who is, ch- who is a chosen man of God, for he has fasted many days because of the sins of this people, and he is unhungered, and thou shalt receive him into thy house and feed him, and he shall bless thee and thy house. And the blessing of the Lord shall rest upon thee and thy house. Now that phrase right there, the blessing of the Lord, that should look familiar from Abraham chapter one, verse two. I sought for the blessings of the fathers. Okay. Well, when we are adopted and become a son or daughter of Christ or the Lord, he becomes our father. So we can very well interchange the word Lord there with the word Father. What is the blessing of the Lord or the blessing of the Father? Well, the Lord says to Amulek, be obedient to me, listen to me, and I will, and the blessing of the Lord shall rest upon thee and thy house. So so Amulek now has a promise, okay? The blessing of the Lord shall rest upon him and his house. What is the blessing of the Lord or the blessing of the Father? Well, let's figure it out. Let's go and find out what happened to Amulek. Alma chapter 14, verse 11. Um, Actually, let's go verses 8 through 11. Excuse me. Um, Alma chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, starting in verse 8. Um, Alma and Amulek have taught the people of Ammonihah or tried to teach them as best they can. They have been rejected and cast into prison, and that's where we are. Uh, and they, this is the, the ruling class in Ammonihah, that's the they, and they brought their wives and children together, and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God, who is Jesus Christ, they cast, they caused that they should be cast into the fire. And they also brought forth their records, which contained the Holy Scriptures, and cast them into the fire also, that they might be burned and destroyed by fire. And it came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek and carried them forth to to the place of martyrdom, that they might witness the destruction of those who were consumed by fire. And when Amulek saw the pains of the women and children who were consuming in the fire, he was also pained, and he said unto Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore, let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God, which is in us and save them from the flames. 
this is now verse 11. But Alma said unto him, the spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth mine hand for the Lord. Now, remember, think back. Amulek was promised that if he just was obedient, that the blessing of the Lord or the blessings of the fathers should rest upon him and his house. Now, what is that? Well, Alma tells us right here, verse 11, but Alma said unto him, the spirit constraineth me that I must not stretch forth mine hand for the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. That's the blessing of the blessings of the father right there. The Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. And he doth suffer that they may do this thing or that the people may do this thing unto them according to the hardness of their hearts, that the judgment which he shall, that the judgments which, which he shall exercise upon them in his wrath may be just. And the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. Now Amulek said unto Alma, behold, perhaps they will burn, this, burn us also. And I want to address that. Because I think sometimes many of us have read that, including myself included, and thought, Amulek, you're kind of a coward. Like, just go. But I don't think he's saying that. Amulek is the farthest thing from a coward. I think that Amulek, in his heart, wants to join. Remember, these are his, this, this is his family that he's watching being burned alive. It's his children and his wife. He's watching them burn, and I think he has a desire in his heart to go and join them. That's why he says, Amulek said unto Alma, it's with looking forward, possibly, to what could happen to joining them. Behold, perhaps they will burn us also. And Alma said, be it according to the word of the Lord, will of the Lord. In other words, whatever the Lord says is, is what we'll do. Then he says, but behold, our work is not finished. Therefore, they burn us not. So I don't think Amulek was in any way, shape or form um, expressing cowardice by saying, behold, perhaps they will burn us also. Um, go back to, let's go back to Abraham. So now we understand what the blessing of the father is. The blessing of the father, again, Alma, verse 11, the Lord receiveth them up unto himself in glory. Those are the blessings of the fathers. And that is exactly what Abraham is seeking out and finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me. I sought for the blessings of the fathers. Now, the next, the next, the next phrase, um, Abraham is not only content with having the Lord receive himself up into his glory Abraham has a desire to administer all these blessings to to his children. I sought for the blessings of the fathers and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. So Abraham has this desire to not just accept where he is, but he wants to ascend higher and higher. So Let's look at that phrase, the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. Abraham, again, he wants not only to receive all that the Father has to give, but he wants to give that joy and he wants to give that happiness and all of those blessings to to others. In other words, he desires to become a God himself. Now, let's look at what that means when Abraham says, 
the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. Abraham has a desire to become a god, and he tells us he tells us that. So let's let's look at what that means. How do we become a god? And and Joseph Smith, Abraham understands this process. Abraham understands it well because he goes through it. At the end of verse two, we know that he he receives that right. Um, let's look at Joseph Smith, another man who I would liken unto Abraham. Uh, Joseph Smith taught the same doctrine, and we're going to read a section, a couple of sections from the King Follett Discourse, speaking on how we, if we have a desire, the same desire that Abraham had, or in other words, the right whereunto we could administer the same blessings to God's children, um, how do we make that happen? How do we accomplish that? Well, it's only through Jesus Christ. That is the, the, the only way is to enter into the new and everlasting covenant and ascend. Joseph Smith expounds on that in the King Follett Discourse. There are but a few, there are but, there are but very few, Joseph Smith says this, there are but very few beings in the world who understand rightly the character of God. The great majority of mankind do not comprehend anything, neither that which is past or that which is to come, as it respects their as it respects their relationship to God. They do not know, neither do they understand the nature of that relationship. And I would tell us to apply this to ourselves, that even though we're on this path, that we don't understand our relationship with God. Joseph Smith tells us they do not know, neither do they understand the nature of that relationship. And consequently, they know but little above the brute beast, or more than to eat, drink, and sleep. This is all man knows about God and his existence, unless it is given by the inspiration of the Almighty. I will go back to the beginning, before the world was, to show what kind of a being God is. What sort of a being was God in the beginning? Open your ears and hear. In other words, listen. All ye ends of the earth, we could replace that with the word hearken, the very first word in the DNC, hearken. In other words, open your ears, seek after revelation, receive that revelation, and act on that revelation. Open your ears and hear, all ye ends of the earth, for I, go, I am going to prove it to you by the Bible and to tell you the designs of God in relation to the human race and why he interferes with the affairs of man. Why does God put himself in our life? Why does he want us to come to him? Joseph Smith says, God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. And if the veil were rent today, and the great God who holds this world in its orbit, and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power, was to make himself visible, I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves, in all the person, image, and very form of a man. For Adam was created in, in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God, and received instruction from, and walked, talked, and conversed with him, as one man talks and communes with another. In order to understand the subject of the dead, for consolation of those who mourn for the loss of their friends, remember this is a funeral, it is necessary we should understand the character and being of God and how he came to be so for I am going to tell you how God came to be God. And we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see 
These ideas are incomprehensible to some, meaning that God was a man, but now he's God. That's incomprehensible, but they are simple. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another and that he was once a man like us. Yea, that God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. And I will show it from the Bible. I will show. I wish I was in a suitable place to tell it and that I had the trump of an archangel so that I could tell the story in such a manner that persecution would cease forever. What did Jesus say? The scriptures inform us that Jesus said, as the father hath power in himself, even so hath the son power. Well, to do what? Why, what the father did. In other words, the father does exactly the same thing that the son does, and the son does exactly the same thing that the father does. Even so hath the son power to do what? Why, what the father did. The answer is obvious. In a manner to lay down his body and take it up again. Jesus, what are you going to do? to lay down my life as my father did and take it up again. In other words, what Joseph is saying is that our God, the father was once a Jesus Christ. And that as our God, the father is our God, the father, that Jesus Christ will become a God, the father, just like our God, the father is now. It's a process of entering into the new and everlasting covenant and ascending. Do you believe it? If you do not believe it, if you do not, if you do not believe it, you do not believe the Bible. The scriptures say it, and I defy, defy all the learning and wisdom and all the combined powers of earth and hell together to refute it. Here then is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God, and that you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another and from one small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, this is the new and everlasting covenant. This is the process of ascension that Joseph is teaching here. This is the exact same thing that Abraham wants. What does Joseph say? And we keep doing this until you attain to the resurrection of the dead, or in other words, the place where Jesus Christ uh, is, and are able to dwell in everlasting burnings. Where does Christ dwell? In everlasting burnings. And to sit in glory, as do those who sit enthroned in everlasting power. On this point, one last point, um, go to John chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. But Jesus answered them, speaking to either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, one or the other. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he, had not, he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. In other words, our God the father suffered an atonement and went through everything that Christ went through. They did the same thing. Um. I hope I hope that that sheds some light on what it means to for Abraham when he says the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. He seeks to do the exact same thing that his father, Jesus Christ, did, just as Jesus Christ sought to do the exact same thing that his father, Heavenly Father, did. Um, the next phrase, having been myself a follower 
of righteousness. Okay, actually, let's read the whole thing in context. And finding there was, verse Abraham chapter 1, verse 2, and finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers and the right whereto I should be ordained to administer the same. That's what we just talked about. Having been myself a follower of righteousness. Now, how did he do it? We, we know at the end, I became a rightful heir, a high priest holding the right belonging to the father. So he did it. How did he do it? Having been myself a follower of righteousness. Now that word righteousness is just loaded with meaning. Um, let's start looking at it. The word righteousness being, having been a follower of righteousness. Let's start by looking in DNC 45 verses nine through 12. Um, what is righteousness? What does that mean? That's not just being a good person. That's not, that's not just simply, like I said, just being a good person, like so many of us think we are. Um, it's not just, just entering into the law of Moses and keeping these carnal commandments. It is so much more than that. DNC 45 verses 9 through 12, starting in verse 9. And even so, I, the Lord, have sent mine everlasting covenant into the world. This is Jesus Christ to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles. That's us to seek to it and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. Wherefore, come ye unto it, it being the new and everlasting covenant. And with him that cometh, I will reason as with men in days of old old and I will show unto you my strong reasoning. In other words, just enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Just follow my doctrine and I will show you. I will show you my strong reasoning. You won't be able to deny it. Verse 11, wherefore hearken. In other words, receive revelation, seek it out, receive it and act on it. That's what hearken means. Wherefore hearken ye together and let me show unto you even my wisdom, the wisdom of him whom ye say is the God of Enoch and his brethren, who were separated from the earth and were received unto myself, a city reserved until a day of righteousness shall come. Now, what is this day of righteousness? What is it? Well, he gives us the explanation right after, right after that. Righteousness, a day of righteousness is a day which was sought for by holy men, okay? The coming of Jesus Christ. And they found it not because of wickedness and abominations. However, the city of Enoch found it. Now, what did the city of Enoch do? Well, we could go back and read JST Genesis chapter nine. We won't read it because we've read it so much, but a day which was sought for by all, all holy men, and they found it not because of wickedness and, and abominations, but the city of Enoch did find it. Why did they find it? How did they find it? Well, they entered into the new and everlasting covenant. Okay, Righteousness is Christ. It is also a, a, a metaphor for the end time servant, which is exactly what Enoch was. Enoch was righteousness. Jesus Christ is righteousness. Um, Joseph Smith is righteousness. Let's go to 2 Nephi chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, this is Isaiah. Hearken, there it is again. 
enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Here's Abraham. Look unto Abraham. What did Abraham do? He entered into the new and everlasting covenant. He was a follower of righteousness. That is what it means. Look unto Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah. She entered into it too. She that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving, the voice of melody. Hearken, there it is. We just hear it and see it over and over and over again. Come to me, enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me. Receive revelation. Listen to me. I'll tell you what to do. And give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light for the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. And mine arm, there's another end time, meta, end time servant metaphor, arm. And mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me. And on mine arm shall they trust. So righteousness is uh, a metaphor for the end time servant. It's a metaphor for the new and everlasting covenant. It's a metaphor for Jesus Christ, all of the above. So when Abraham says that he has been a follower of righteousness, He's saying he entered into the new and everlasting covenant. He followed Jesus Christ, and he followed the ordained servant of Jesus Christ, who at this time was Melchizedek. Melchizedek being a compound word of Melech and Sedek. Melech meaning king, and Sedek meaning righteousness. King of righteousness. Let's read it in context. Abraham chapter 1, verse 2. We're just picking this apart. We're just unpacking this whole verse. There's so much here. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me. We defined all of that. I sought for the blessings of the Father. We designed, we defined that. And the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. Having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge. That word knowledge is an entire book in and of itself to talk about that word and to be a greater follower of righteousness and to be, and to possess a greater knowledge okay and to be a father of many nations a prince of peace let's define the words prince of peace let's go to second nephi chapter 19 verse 6 for unto us a child is born this is defining who is the Prince of Peace. And it's very obvious. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be un upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Abraham has a desire to become a Prince of Peace peace okay it just doesn't get any clearer than that um we're talking about a process of ascension we're talking about jesus christ doing the same thing that he saw his father do and our heavenly father doing the same thing that he saw his father do and us 
doing the same thing that we saw Jesus Christ do. In other words, being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire. That's where we are right now. That's the whole purpose of the Book of Mormon. Um, moving on past Prince of Peace and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God. This is what we've been talking about the entire time. Let's let's talk about it one more time just to cover that phrase. DNC 66 verse 2. Verily I say unto you, blessed are you for receiving mine everlasting covenant, even the fullness of my gospel sent forth unto the children of men, that they might have life and be made partakers of the glories which are to be revealed in the last days, as it was written by the prophets and apostles in days of old. This is what Abraham is talking about when he says, and desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God. He's talking about entering into the new covenant receiving revelation and acting on that revelation it's the exact thing it's the it's the exact same thing that nephi said to the lord when his father asked him to go into jerusalem and obtain the plates of brass it's the same exact thing that nephi said in first nephi chapter 3 verse 7 and it came to pass that i nephi said unto my father i will go and do the things which the lord hath commanded in other words I'll do the same thing that Abraham did. I will enter into the new and everlasting covenant. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. In other words, the Lord is going to give you revelation that you are capable of obeying. And desiring, back to Abraham chapter 1, verse 2, the very end. And desiring to receive instructions and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest holding the right belonging to the fathers. In other words, he became a co-heir with Jesus Christ and God the Father. He became their equal. I became a rightful heir, a a high priest holding the right belonging to the fathers remember in a celestial realm there are none greater than the other they have all things in common there is there is no one greater than the next person in a celestial realm and that's that's the point that abraham has arrived to these individuals in these in the celestial realm may have a different calling than one another but they are all equal abraham is no greater than joseph smith abraham is no greater than john the revelator they're all equal um So let's define the term high priest. I became a rightful heir, a high priest. What is that? What is he talking about there? This is not talking about a high priest as in a calling of men. This is talking about being called to the office of a high priest in the church of the firstborn, in the celestial order, after the holy order, the same order that Alma was called to in in Alma chapter 13 that he tells us about. Let's go to JST Genesis Chapter 14, this is a long one, verses 25 through 40, but it's so good. And it's all about Melchizedek and Abraham entering into this order. And Melchizedek, remember Melchizedek, this is cool. You should pick up on some stuff here. Melchizedek is a hybrid word, two words, Melech and Sedek. Melech meaning king, Sedek meaning peace, the king of peace. And Melchizedek, who did we read the king of peace was? The prince of peace? Well. 
you can put two and two together. And Melchizedek lifted up his voice and blessed Abram, Abraham. Now, Melchizedek was a man of faith who wrought righteousness. And in other words, he entered into the new and everlasting covenant and he tried to get other people to do the same thing. And when a child, he feared God and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. Thus, having been approved of God, he was ordained an high priest after the order of the covenant which God made with Enoch. Okay, what was that covenant? It was the new and everlasting covenant. It's what we've been talking about for the past hour. It being after the order of the Son of God, which order came not by man, nor the will of man, neither by father nor mother, neither by beginning of days nor end of years, but of God. In other words, he was ordained not by a man on this earth to become a high priest. He was ordained by the Father himself. And it was delivered unto men. Verse 29, we're in JST Genesis 14, if you're following along, JST Genesis 14, verses 25 through 40, we're in verse 29. And it was delivered unto men by the calling of his own voice. In other words, God the Father himself. It was not a man. It was not Jesus Christ. It was God the Father himself, according to his own will, unto as, unto as many as believed on his name. For God, having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself, that everyone being ordained after this order and calling should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide the seas, to dry up waters, to turn them out of their course. This is the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood. This is the power that the marred servant will have in the last days. This is the power of elemental control. Verse 31, to put at defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band. Remember what Satan binds us with? He binds us with bands. To break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will. That's new covenant. According to his command, subdue principalities and powers, and this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. And men, having this faith, coming up unto this order of God, were translated and taken up into heaven. This is, this is the point that Abraham is telling us he's arrived to. And now, Melchizedek was a priest after this order. Therefore, he obtained peace in Salem and was called the Prince of peace. Let that sink in. And his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had, ta- had before taken, separating it from the earth, having reserved it unto the latter days or the end of the world, and hath said and sworn with an oath that the heavens and the earth should come together and the sons of God should be tried so as by fire. Well, yes. Abraham was very much tried by fire. So was his wife, Sarah, in that they were both to asked to sacrifice their only son. And this Melchizedek, having thus established righteousness, was called the king of heaven by his people, or in other words, the prince of peace. And he lifted, remember what Abraham desires to be. He desires to become a prince of peace, just like Melchizedek. And he lifted up his voice and he blessed Abram, being the high priest and the keeper of the storehouse of God, him whom God had appointed to receive tithes for the poor. Wherefore, Abraham, Abram paid unto him tithes, all that he had paid unto Melchizedek tithes, all that he had of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him more than that, more than 
that which he had need. And it came to pass that God blessed Abram and gave unto him riches and honor and lands for an everlasting possession according to the covenant which he had made. That's the new and everlasting covenant. The reason the Lord gave him all of this is because because Abraham entered into the new and everlasting covenant and did what God the Father asked him to do. According to the covenant which he had made and according to the blessing wherewith Melchizedek had blessed him. And to wrap it up, Abraham, back to Abraham. Abraham chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It was conferred upon me from the fathers. This is talking about this high priesthood becoming a high priest. It was conferred upon me from the fathers. Note, it was not conferred upon Abraham from a man. That's not the way it works. It comes directly from God the Father. It came down from the fathers, from the beginning of time, yea, even from the beginning or before the foundation of the earth down to the present time. Even the right of the firstborn or the first man who is Adam or first father through the fathers unto me. All of these fathers, just like Abraham entered into the new covenant, they followed the doctrine of Christ. That's how they did it. That's how Abraham did it. That's how Jesus Christ became Jesus Christ. That's how Abraham became Abraham. That's how God the Father became God the Father. And that's how his father became his father. It's all entering into the new and everlasting covenant. That is the hedge of protection that is talked about in the parable of the redemption of Zion in DNC 101. It's the new and everlasting covenant. Verse four of of Abraham. I sought for mine appointment under the priesthood, according to the appointment of God under the fathers concerning the seed. Again, new and everlasting covenant language. That is the whole point. This is how, this is the doctrine of Christ. It is seeking after receiving and acting on revelation that the Lord gives you. And there is no other way. It is only through Jesus Christ that we receive it. That's why we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. He gives us revelation. We act on that revelation. And we will always have the ability to obey the revelation that he gives us. Just as it was so difficult for Amulek to watch his kindred be burned alive, If it is asked of us to watch such a horrific sight, we will have the ability to do it, not because we are anything special of ourselves, because we are less than the dust of the earth, but it is through Jesus Christ and his atonement that it is made possible. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one else comes to the Father except through him. I know that, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.